Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Tony Ria. Once again, good morning. So good to have you here this morning. Are you happy that you made it to church today? You know, we don't gather here on Sunday morning to just do church. We are the church. We are the people of God. And I just so appreciate Phil's passion and the whole worship team's passion for, you know, for worship. It's so great to be in God's house and to know that the, the King of Kings is here among us. Did you sense that this morning while we were worshiping? I know you did. Okay, if you've been here with us the last couple of weeks and you know that the whole month of August, we're studying the book of James. And two weeks ago, uh, in lesson number one of this series, when I introduced uh, the teaching to you, I told you that James is a comprehensive and detailed letter challenging us to live authentic and genuine Christian lives. I mean, that's, that's what we want to do. We want to take the, the truth that we learn in the book of James, and we want to apply it to our lives. The applied truth can change and transform us, and that's what we're all about. And two weeks ago, during that first lesson, we talked about the importance of having patience and perseverance, especially when we face trials of many kinds. That word patience in the Greek literally means having a cheerful endurance. And against all odds, James encourages us to be patient and pleasant at the same time. Did you hear that? Patient and pleasant when we're going through the trial. And then last week in the second installment, we talked about mercy. And we learned that mercy triumphs over judgment every day of the week and twice on Sunday. It's always about mercy. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And then we talked about two very important doctrines of the faith, justification and sanctification, and how they work well together. They're not a contradiction. Faith and deeds is not a contradiction, but they work beautifully together. We all know that we can't save ourselves, that we can't earn salvation, but after we get saved, God has come up with a masterful plan to get us to the place of full devotion. So if you missed the first two Sundays of this series, you're all caught up. Today in lesson number three, we want to talk about good character. Say that. One more time. Good character. And the wisdom that God provides that allows us to shine in this world today. To let our light shine. Namely, what the Apostle Paul appeals to us to do in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 15. Here's what he says. That you, who? Who? You. That who you may become blameless and pure, the children of God, without fault in a wicked and perverse generation in which you shine like stars in the sky. Don't look now, but the world in which we live today it's pretty dark. But in darkness that we're experiencing these days, it just takes a little bit of light to make a huge difference. 
And God has called us, the church, to let our light shine in the darkness. Okay, let's read a few verses of scripture here from James chapter 3. In fact, I'd like to read the first 13 verses. James chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue. The what? How many have a tongue? Is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great force is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. In fact, just a couple of weeks ago, I was amazed when I was watching America's Got Talent, and it was a gal on the show that had tamed or trained a rat. It was her and her rat. It's amazing. You know, we can train and tame everything, the scripture says. But no human being, back to the scripture, can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's image or in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life. By what? Or their good character or their good conduct. By deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. All right, let's pause right there for a few minutes. How many of you have ever heard of St. Francis of Assisi? A few of you. Can anybody tell me where Assisi is located? It's in Italy, right in the middle. Francis of Assisi's birth name was Francesco di Pietro di Bernardoni. Now that's Italian. And I love to say it, it just rolls off the tongue. Francesco di Pietro di Bernardoni. And when he was baptized, he was baptized Catholic, they gave him the name Giovanni. Can you begin to imagine why I like this guy? All right. <laughs> Francis of Assisi was born into wealth. His father was a very successful clothing merchant. His specialty was silk. And back in those days, right around the 12th and 13th century, the only people that could afford silk were the very rich. And so as a young boy... Giovanni or Francesco lived a charm life. He had the best of everything, and now I'm talking about the best that money could buy. 
But as a young man, he had a spiritual awakening and he was drawn to the poor and needy. And that experience that he had with God as a teenager, it changed his life. He walked away from his riches and from his wealth and he served the poor. He spent his life in poverty, walking in the footsteps of Jesus and teaching people to become fully devoted to him. And so as the story goes, one day, uh, Francis, who was in charge of the monastery, he took one of his disciples, a young monk, and he asked him, he invited him to go with him to a nearby village because he wanted to preach the gospel. He wanted to teach this monk how to preach the gospel. And as you can imagine, uh, the young disciple was extremely excited. He was elated. He was uh, eager to hear not only his master speak publicly, but to learn how street witnessing was done. So he's very excited. And as they made their way to the village, the first stop that Francis made was to visit a, an elderly woman. She had just become a widow. She lost her husband of many years. She buried him just a week or two earlier. And so he went there and he comforted her. She was grieving and, and he spent some time with her. And then he went to the hospital to pray with a friend of his that was bedridden, a friend that was very sick. Spent some time with that man at the hospital. Then they walked over to one of the local schools and they, they spent some time with the teachers there. They, they heard about their frustrations and some of the discouragements that they had. And so they spent some time there with those teachers. And finally, he walked over to the neighborhood market. He shared a meal with the owner and was able to shake hands with several of the patrons. And after he was all done with that, he turned to his student, his monk, friend, and he said, it's time to make our way back to the monastery. And that's when the monk became very upset. He said, you invited me to come here to this village so that we could learn how to preach the gospel message. We didn't do anything like that. In fact, you wasted away the whole day. We didn't say or talk about the name of Jesus to anyone. And that's when Francis said, all day long, people have listened to us, they've watched us, and responded to us. Every word we have spoken, every deed, every smile, every prayer, every visit was in itself a sermon. Amen. He said, the fact of the matter is, we have been preaching Jesus the entire day. Amen. And then Francis made a statement that has become a, a, a timeless quote. People have repeated this quote for the centuries. Here's what he said. He said, as believers in Christ, as Christians, it is our responsibility to always preach the gospel. And if you must, if you must, use words. You know, when I read the first 13 verses of James chapter 3, we just did that. I am dramatically re reminded of how important it is to have good character. How this is such an emphasis for the people of God. I could not get past that thought when I prepared for this particular lesson. The character that God is requiring of his people. The importance of having the kind of behavior and the kind of character that is conducive to the faith that we hold so dear. And I, I was just in tears 
this morning as we went through the gospel message with that second song. I, I just could not contain myself as I remembered everything that Jesus did for us. That's the gospel message. And at the very core of that message is this instruction that we have from the word of God, this encouragement to always express godly character. Last Sunday, we learned that mercy triumphs over judgment all the time. In the same way, good character triumphs over opinion. Did you hear that? Character triumphs over opinion. And I think sometimes we get this backwards. We sacrifice and we undermine character for the sake of our words. Because we're so passionate about our faith, And because we have a deep desire to stand for truth and not compromise our beliefs, oftentimes we lose sight of just how damaging and critical and hurtful our words can be. We don't realize the power of our words. And I'm talking about the words that we speak and words that are written. Even the viewpoints that we express or post on our social media page. Again, sometimes we think as long as our opinion is supported by the scripture and what we believe and what we say matches the word of God, then as Christians we can say anything we want. And we can rant and we can rave and we can be crazy for God as long as we're saying what the word of God says. I think sometimes we think that. So what are we supposed to do? Where do we draw the line? As loyal believers, I mean the people of God, not wanting to offend, but certainly not wanting to compromise our beliefs, when do we engage in the conversation and when do we resist? I mean, where's the balance in all this? Well, the balance is verse 13. James chapter 3 and verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Think about that. Who is wise? And understanding among you, let him or let her show it. Show your wisdom, prove your understanding by their good life or by good conduct, by deeds done in humility. Did you catch the last word? Three, three or four of you? Yeah, it's right there. It's humility. It's the forgotten attribute of the Christian life. It's something that we haven't really embraced as being a powerhouse in the kingdom of God. Do you know Jesus taught humility? He modeled humility every day, 24-7. He modeled it because it is the character of God. It's the nature of God. Everyone else expected someone else to ride in on a white horse and just take everybody out. But he comes in, this humble guy, filled with humility. In fact, the word of God says, and we'll read it later on, that God resists the proud. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to who? The humble. He gives grace to the humble. In his teaching in Matthew 23 and verse 12, Jesus said, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. 
One more time. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Check it out. One way or another, you're getting humbled. You can either do it yourself or you can let God do it. But God wants us to walk in his humility because it is a characteristic of God. So even when you think you're right, and you can prove you're right by matching it with the word of God, the teaching of Jesus and his brother, so they double teamed us, is if you can't express it in humility, if you lack a little bit of humility, then maybe you better hold your tongue. Maybe it would be better for you if you just laid little low and didn't say as much. Now, last Sunday, I shared one of my favorite verses of scripture when it comes to this particular subject, because it's addressed in the Bible. 1 Peter 3.15 says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, or the reason why you have this truth that's exploding inside of you, the gospel message. Always be prepared to answer someone, but do it with gentleness and respect. So there's two parts to it. It's not just give an answer. Give an answer with gentleness and respect. The King James Version uses the word meekness. The message says with the utmost courtesy. Harshness and hate, anger and attack has no place in the presentation of the gospel message. I'm going to say that again. Harshness and hate, anger and attack has no place in the communication of the gospel message. That's why our boy, Francesco, he said, we have a responsibility to communicate the gospel message. It belongs to the church. If the church doesn't do it, no one else is. We have been given that privilege and that honor to tell people about the greatness of our God. And if you have to, if you must, at last resort, your last option, use words to do it. In other words, let your light shine and let the people see your good character. Amen. And so in the time remaining this morning, what I'd like to do is give you just a little bit of advice on how to share your faith in today's culture. How to effectively communicate the gospel and let people know uh, about this truth that is just so passionate inside of you. And again, this is my approach. This is the way that I choose to do it. You may have been taught a different method. You may have heard another preacher, another minister use a different model. That's perfectly okay. There's, just, there's not just one way to do this. The key, though, is with humility. It's to give an answer and to respond to people who ask faith questions with gentleness and meekness and respect. All right, just before I... I uh, talk a little bit about that. Let's finish our assigned verses here uh, today in uh, James chapter 3. And since James has five chapters and we only have four Sundays, which is a big dilemma, what I have to do is I have to split up chapter 4 between today and next Sunday. All right, so we're going to read James chapter 3, starting with verse 14, all the way to James chapter 4 and verse 12. All right, stay with me. Can you do that? Yeah. All right. If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom 
does not come from heaven, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. One more time. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit that he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who? You, who are you to judge your neighbor? Okay, if you haven't done so already, and again, a lot of verses here, many different subject matter to cover, I would highly recommend that you spend some of your devotion time this week reading and rereading this chapter. Uh, chapters 3 and 4. They will help you in your quest to build humility and good character into your life and to reinforce everything that I'm trying to teach you this morning. All right, when it comes to sharing your faith with other people and doing it in a respectful and gentle way, I have found that one of the best approaches to use is to first try and establish a relationship with the person you're trying to witness to. And you're establishing that relationship because God has laid that person on your heart, whether it's a coworker or a neighbor or a family member, a friend of some kind. God has put that person on your heart so much so that you're praying for them. You're literally asking the Holy Spirit to open their eyes and to open their understanding. You see, the reason it's so difficult these days for people to receive the gospel message and the truth is because there is an increased and methodical persecution against Christianity. Are you aware of that? It is real. It's ungodly. It's demonic. It's spiritual. And you can trace this all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Even during the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ, he continually came under this ungodly attack of hate. The scripture tells us that the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, they hated him without a cause. 
There was no reason to hate Jesus. And yet they rejected him, refused to believe that he was the Messiah. Because the devil blinded their eyes and he filled their hearts with envy and jealousy. What does James 3.16 say? Where there's envy and selfish ambition, you will find disorder and every evil practice. Can you think of a description that describes our world any better than this? Disorder and every evil practice. I mean, this is us today. Because the name of Jesus has been more maligned, mocked, and ridiculed than any other name on the planet. And Christianity has been singled out, attacked, and persecuted more than any other faith or any other religion. And this hatred has been inspired by the devil himself. He is the one who has effectively blinded the eyes of the people in the world, making it difficult for us to witness and for us to share our testimony and get people to respond. The enemy has hardened their hearts. Do you understand that? It's spiritual. It's demonic. But please understand, the devil has also mounted an attack against the church. His field is not just the world. He's made his way into the church as well. And his MO or method of operation is division. He has effectively gotten believers to argue and fight and even hate one another. This is something that James addressed in his letter. Brothers and sisters quarreling with one another, refusing to forgive one another, or, or having animosity and bitter feelings toward one another. This shouldn't be. James chapter 4 and verse 8 says, Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Or draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. One of the ways that we do this, obviously, is to passionately pursue God each and every day. Another way is to draw near to the God we see in other people. Did you hear me? Draw near to the God that we see in one another. There's nothing more inspirational, as far as I'm concerned, than seeing a believer, a brother and sister, stepping out in faith, using the gifting that God has given to them, walking in the, the power of the Spirit. That should challenge us. That should inspire us, not make us envious, not cause us to, to be jealous of that person, but it should move us. It should make us better. It should sharpen us, bring us to the next level. And that's the beauty of life groups. We spend so much time and so much effort here at our church trying to put together life groups and have you register for those life groups and be a part of them. Life groups give us an opportunity to grow together, to learn about one another, to do life together, to share our faith with one another. Now, you've heard me preach about the importance of church attendance. I'm going to let you off the hook this morning. But as long as I have breath, I'm going to talk to you about how important it is to be in God's house. Podcasting is great. Hearing a message, reading a devotional, all good stuff. Nothing like being in the presence of God in his house and honoring him. But it's not enough. It's not enough. If we are going to impact our world today and if we are going to express Jesus to our world and do it in a wholesome and healthy way, then we need to do it together. And life groups give us an excellent opportunity 
to mature the faith and grow our faith and draw from the grace and from the love and the strength and the God that we see in each other. Now, I said for the most part that I share my faith with people, unsafe people, that I'm attempting to establish a relationship with. But often, the Holy Spirit will prompt me to talk about Jesus or talk about the gospel with a total stranger, someone I don't even know. And when that happens, when I feel that urgency or that prompting, I, I try to be obedient and I try to follow the leading of the Lord. And so I wait for an opportunity for, for the Lord to open the door. And that's when I will engage this particular person with the gospel message. But I am not a Bible thumper. I don't take my Bible and hit them over the head. I don't cram memorized verses down their throats. I don't belittle their opinions or interrupt them or tell them they don't know what they're talking about. And I certainly don't approach them, you know, playing the, the God card and saying, the Lord specifically told me to minister to you. I mean, you're, I'm your godly angel here this morning or this evening. And if you don't accept my invitation for salvation, you're going to burn in hell. You know, I've, I've not found that to be very effective. Might be true. Not effective. See, what I'm hoping in the establishing of relationship, in the attempt to get to know somebody before I try to get them saved, is that just possibly, just maybe they might see something about my life Something about my character, about my faith that would speak louder to them than what I could say to them. And that sooner or later, they might ask a question. They might want to engage me, and then that would give me permission to speak to them about my faith. But I want you to, to know I have a personal policy that I refuse to engage in an argument with that person about God. You know, maybe we could do that and get away with it years ago. Not today. It just doesn't benefit anyone. I mean, I will engage in conversation with someone who has a different faith. I will talk to them and discuss the scriptures, even if we don't see eye to eye on everything. I'll do it in a civil way, but I refuse to enter into an agitated, heated, or argumentative discussion about God. I just don't see the value in it. James 3, 17 says, the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all, uh, where, where does it rank? So the wisdom that we get from heaven, not, not our own wisdom, not what we've experienced or all of our lessons that we've learned, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, Good fruit, impartial, and sincere. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9, in what's called the Beatitudes, a declaration, a powerful declaration of eight different blessings, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. To be envied, happy are the peacemakers. You know, most people that I encounter today, not everyone, Certainly nobody here. But a lot of people that I talk to today, they are very opinionated people. You know what I've, I've learned about opinionated people? 
they always think they're right. And there's usually just a little bit of arrogance associated with their viewpoints. Any idea when two extremely opinionated people come together and share their opinionated opinions? <laughs> Fireworks. And then it just gets worse from there. As peacemakers and not opinion pounders, we stand a much better chance of sharing the gospel message. Again, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. There's a harvest that comes. There's fruit that comes from that. When we can have it in our hearts to express peace and nothing else, I think we stand a really good chance of getting through to people. Thanks again for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. For more messages like this and other resources, visit us online at cccsterling.org.